It has been said that anything can happen here on Over Under Fair, but now, more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner. Even though we call ourselves listening entertainment, because of the audio involved, the keyword in that phrase is entertainment. The OUF extends far beyond the strict confines of podcast presentation into the wide open environment of broad-based entertainment. We in the OUF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good topics versus bad topics. Surely the era of the supercasters urging you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. Therefore, we've embarked on a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. However, due to the live nature of Over Under Fair, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as relates to the younger audience allowed to hear our show. We are responsible podcast producers who work hard to bring you this outrageous, wacky, wonderful world known as the OUF. Through some 18 months, Over Under Fair has been an entertainment mainstay here in North America and all over the world. One of the reasons for that longevity is, as the times have changed, so have we. I'm happy to say that this new, vibrant, creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in download listenership, for which we thank SRD Productions and CRB for allowing us to have that creative freedom. But most especially, we would like to thank you for listening. Over Under Fair, definitely the final word in pop culture relevance. The voice of an angel. Jeremy, yeah. you're you're in loans Send too. Me an yeah, we could we could be a tag team. Oh yeah, we, we could be the banker. We could reform Money Incorporated. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> the two the two loan officers. That That's are, right. Like, Money Incorporated. Oh, two point oh. <laughs> and they go against, and then Dave, they go against Dave because he's like the blue collar worker they're trying to bring down. I am. I'm the. Uh, We're gonna foreclose on you. I'm the, <laughs> <laughs> the Mexican American dream. <laughs> Son of El Plumber. <laughs> that was my daddy. <laughs> and welcome back again to Over Under Fair, the final word in pop culture relevance. I am your host, uh, the non-union Mexican equivalent of Billy Gunn, senior ass, for this episode. Uh, <laughs> over here to my left, producer, Cuban Missile, Roger Castillo. Woo! <laughs> Fish you off with the sunset flip, or the... The Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> Such a good day for a finish here. All right, so if we haven't given it away already, we are doing another wrestling episode. I am thrilled to be back in the studio doing more wrestling. Listeners of the show, if you are faithful, will have heard the Triple H episode we did quite a while ago, and go back and listen to that in the archives. But piggybacking off of that, Triple H was kind of a big deal back in the, what is it, is it the Attitude Era, guys? Is that what that was called? I think it was the Attitude Era of wrestling. That's, I'm pretty sure that's what it's colloquially referred to as. So... For that, I brought in some hardcore marks like myself, a bunch of old-time wrestling fans. I've known these guys for a while. All brand-new friends of the show. That's a, <laughs> a, a term I love to throw on people. But uh, over here to my right, uh, we'll call him the punctual punisher because he was here before everybody else, Brian Benisi. 
Thank you, sir. How's it going? It's going well. All right, I'm speaking for <laughs> Brian now. And across from me here, we got the excellence of elocution, Mr. Brian Lobbs. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to be here. And over here next to Brian, we have uh, six time, six time. What was your what was your Fed name? Uh, UWF. The six time UWF champion, Jeremiah the Bullfrog, Jeremy Gabrielson. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm here to deliver some frog splashes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, we are in it, guys. It is wrestling season every day of the year because it never fucking ends. So, <laughs> with that in mind, I wanted to take a. You know, we're about what twenty twenty years out now from like the proper attitude era, and with that, I kind of wanted to take a step back and ask ourselves and the listeners, you guys, is the attitude era overrated? I mean, is it underrated or is it fairly rated? That's the gimmick of the show. So we're gonna try to do that today. Uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Roger, who will not be talking through the most of this episode because you are not having a don't have as huge an opinion of this because you weren't really watching wrestling then, right? Right. I stopped watching wrestling right around the time about 97, 98. Before. So right when all of this starts. Yeah, because uh, at that point I was the I was into the WWE logo from, what is it, 90 or 86 to 94. Yeah, like the Federation era the stuff. Fer- the Federation era stuff. Yeah. Like once, once Say high your prayers, eat your vitamins. Yeah, that kind of era and the yeah. Tito Santana and all that stuff. Oh, um, yeah. But I, start, I stopped watching it actually right around the... Uh, Owen Owen Hart passing away. I, mm, okay, I couldn't yeah. do it. So yeah, I guess. All right. Well, that'll come oh, up. Um, all right. So Roger, thank you for your opinion. But we will no longer need you. So go ahead and <laughs> hang out over here for a little while, and uh, please make us sound good. Um, of course. Coming back around. Uh, so we're all we're all longtime wrestling fans, right? Like you guys have a history of this before we get to the Attitude Era. Jeremy, this kind of thing you've been doing since you were like a wee boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been watching it forever. I mean, I remember. You know, just not only just WWF. I mean, I, I tried to watch as much wrestling as I could. Um, my great grandparents lived in Kentucky, so when I go down there, I'd actually watch Smoky Mountain wrestling oh, man, on awesome. the local TV stations when I was uh, like eight, nine. So, I mean, I've been watching it for a long time. You know, saying my prayers, eating my vitamins, and then I changed once uh, once Undertaker came out. I, I started liking heels, and uh, then everything went from there. And here we are today, exactly, <laughs> Brian. I was a, a late bloomer to the the wrestling scene. I didn't get into it till I think sixth grade. Uh, Survivor Series, sort of the dark period of of wrestling. I came in for Surviv- like new generation kind yeah, of stuff. Survivor Series, nineteen ninety three. Bret Hart, oh, Shawn yeah. Michaels, uh, Razor Ramon had just defeated the model Rick Martel in the uh, <laughs> That's a very yeah. specific vacant, yeah. vacant yeah. intercontinental championship <laughs> tournament, oh, wow. and uh, I was all in from there. So. Oh man, that that will come up, but that is that is a good time to become a fan. What yeah. about you, Brian? Other Brian, we got two of you. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, all my life, um, growing up, uh, you guys all know Chris Fry. We yeah. used to spend the night at each other's house every weekend. We'd go to King Video. Rent, nice. what, rent whatever WrestleMania we could, watch it. And uh, there was a ru- ru- rivalry between the two of us because uh, I loved Ultimate Warrior. He loved Hulk Hogan. And, of uh, course, yeah, at, battle lines were drawn. And back in those days, wrestling was so different because when you watched it live, like on Saturday, if it wasn't a pay-per-view or whatever, you didn't get to see those guys. You know, you just saw the squash. No, not always. Or it'd yeah. just be scru- uh, squash matches if you did see them and take two seconds. So, But uh, a lot has changed since then. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of that... A lot of what changed happens in the Attitude Era. It is a, it is a wholesale departure from what they had been doing prior to this. So in order to kind of talk about the era proper, 
I guess we'll kind of talk about what we what leads into it. So it's like, you know, late 96, uh, 97 era. And the tone of the wrestling world in general was all kind of stayed. Like it was still just, you know, Hulk Hogan, longtime WWF, you know, guy had moved to WCW at this point. So he's over there doing the whole same same spiel. But they're the whole product is kind of stale. Like there's not there's not the same excitement that people had as kids when the Federation kind of stuff was really on top of the world with like rock and wrestling and all the WrestleMania stuff popping up in the early eighties. So all the territories are gone and we're just kind of left with choice A and choice B in WWF and WCW, but no one's choosing either. Like it's, you know, buy rates are down. Um, I should real quick pause and say, we might use some terminology and some slang that is a bit more, wrestling focused i'm gonna try my best not to do that too much but it will happen people that listen to the other wrestling show i do my best to stay away from it but if i start dropping words like kayfabe and shoot and work work and shoot fucking <laughs> my fault guys i'm i'm in that mode so but buy rates you know pay-per-view stuff so the pay-per-view numbers were down the house show attendance was down so there's there's just not a lot of people with eyes on the product and the attitude era you know hand in hand with the wcw kind of stuff they change all of that it was the most popular wrestling has ever been and arguably will ever be so leading into like 1996 actually right around now 1996 uh we have some backstage stuff that doesn't seem like it's a big deal with uh scott hall who razor ramon mentioned earlier and kevin nash will leave he was diesel back in the back in that day will leave to go to wcw in what becomes the first of many wrestlers jumping shit back and forth and kind of leads to a whole us versus them kind of vibe from both companies. And that, I think, is what's key to what makes this era so interesting, is that there really felt like there were stakes. Like, I think the thing that's missing from the product now is that there is no real competition, and that hurts, like, on the whole. Um, but I, I'm getting a little off track. So Scott Hall shows up and in WCW on an episode of Nitro, which tapes tomorrow. So it was May 27th, 1996. So that's kind of cool that this happened that day. Right. Um, so we got Scott Hall showing up on Nitro and walks out and challenges Eric Bischoff, you know, the on the on air guy who controlled WCW, who also controlled WCW, and challenges him and tells him to get dudes together because they're gonna war. So that's that's usually where I would use to start like an era pinpoint. But if we're gonna try to get specific to the WWF, which we're gonna try to do more of today, we can we can kind of talk about it. Like where do you guys kind of feel like the attitude era starts? Well, I guess for me, I would for me, it's with I guess DX. Some people say um, that it was you know when uh, Austin three sixteen, but he was not really. They didn't really do much with him right after that. It took him no. a while. Uh, so I'd say DX, and 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 it really kicked off. I think with the Montreal Screwjob. I think is right when that happened, and it it broke everyone's mind because you're like, what's the, what's going on here? We have this. Like you said, you know, we're gonna use terminology. They're they're breaking kayfabe. They, they they shoot on uh, Bret Hart, and he they make him lose his title. And you know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H acting like they had nothing, no idea what's going on when really they obviously did. Right. And that I think you know really kicked it off because that was really the beginning of Vince McMahon being the evil the char- evil owner, the character of Vince McMahon. Brian, as a new generation like entry, did you have any kind of like emotional tie to a guy like bret hart like when bret hart leaves is this like something that affects you as a as a fan oh absolutely i mean bret hart was was my guy you know the whole leather jacket and the the glasses on the the kid in the stands and i I was into all that but 
I also appreciated his uh, technical aspects. And, For sure. And I was watching both shows. I was okay. watching Nitro and Raw. So I was actually somewhat excited to see him go to a WCW, which I think had, at the time, a little bit higher match quality. Down the card, I would totally agree with you. Uh, and so I was excited to see Bret Hart work with, with other guys in WCW. Um, so so I wasn't too affected by it because it's like, oh, good, another guy on another show, yeah. new matchups, whatever. And then we'll get to this, I'm sure, but the complete misuse of, of Bret Hart by WCW. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so then it, that was a major disappointment. I only ask because I know that there are some people uh, like me who was not as big a Bret Hart fan as other people may have been at the time that have come to respect him more in retrospect. And I think that to touch on what Jeremy had said, the screw job is usually how I put the prism of the, you know, the beginning of the attitude era in also, because it's, it's kind of like the most important part I think about all of this is the creation of the, the Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon on screen character. And that happens in Montreal. Like that's, you know, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, and I don't know why you're listening, but if you are, um, that was at Survivor Series 97 when Vince McMahon legitimately took the title from an unknowing Bret Hart and put it on Shawn Michaels, which caused Bret Hart to leave the company. And that, to me, is kind of the kickoff of really the Attitude Era. It wouldn't be too long after this that Vince McMahon would come on and make a statement, uh, a prolonged statement about the changing direction of the company. And, like, you know, talking to the fans about how he doesn't want to talk down to them and the era of saying your prayers and eating your vitamins is no longer here. We want to make a a more ambitious project. And that's, you know, for someone our ages, you know, like that was probably pretty cool, like on its face to, to, to get the promise of like something a bit more risque, something a bit more involved. Cause we're all like teenagers at that point, you know? So like, uh, and you were saying like when Brian, you were kind of coming in and watching like manias up through this point, are you on board like right away for this kind of new product? Uh, not necessarily. I, I, I didn't really know what to think. Um, I, uh, I think I had a different mindset back then because I was one of those people that, uh, it took me a little bit longer to realize that wrestling wasn't real <laughs> when I was younger. And, uh, so, and this was kind of going into that transit. It was a transitional period where suddenly some wrestlers were, you know, breaking character outside of wrestling whereas they used to not as you know the undertaker never did at you know for the longest time and hogan and things like that and so even when the screw job went down um to me i didn't know what to think if it was uh, you know because it seemed like uh you know any type of uh news is good news and so it's good for Bret Hart. It's good for Shawn Michaels. And I thought that was like an amicable thing. Right, and right. Until later on, I realized it was far from it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like far from it. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it was an interesting time. <laughs> for sure. I uh, I think it's interesting that this all kind of leads into the the really big popularity of the company coming on the heels of this, like WrestleMania 14 isn't so much longer after that. And that is like right around DX forming and stuff like that, where uh, Mike Tyson comes in as like a big face <laughs> and a name to put in to storylines and stuff. And they're, they're really swinging for the fences, like right out of the gate. Like we have a new thing. We're not really sure what it is, but it's got attitude. Oh my God. It's the attitude era. Like they, yeah. they buy into that marketing <laughs> pretty quick and that's what they're really rallying on. So like, you know, DX is becomes the, you know, kind of like the harbingers of this, of just, you know, cutting cutting all these promos where they're swearing and making a lot of sexual innuendo and, 
you know, being like super cool guys and wearing all their dumb shit. But <laughs> I'm, all right, if you've listened to the Triple H episode, you know how I feel about Triple H. But that will come up. However, from the hours of nine to ten p.m., we will only use the words "ass," "damn," and "hell." We will, however, never use the words. or any other sexual or racial slurs. And trying to keep this on a timeline part first, uh, 14 kicks off and it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, we're off to the races, like for real now. Like WCW has cranked up their product now in ring to where they're not, they're not in the same place as like the excitement level is with WWF on like the main event scene, but all of their undercard stuff is bananas. Like they have the best working roster that's probably ever existed through like 96 and early 97. Yeah. It's dumb. Like if you can like think of some of these guys, I mean, go ahead, like name some seriously, because you all can do it. Right. So yeah, I mean, that was when you brought up how you watch both. I kind of was a WWF guy, but I made sure to watch any cruiserweights on WCW. Oh, for sure. WCW came on an hour before. And so I would watch. They, and they worked that to their advantage. And they put on the best workers. You had, you know, your, your Guerrero's, you had your Jericho's, uh, your Malenko's, Rey Mysterio. Um, there, there were so many great cruiserweight, you know, psychosis. Uh, I mean, all these guys. No, for sure. And that that lower card of WCW was better than anything that was on the air at that at, at the beginning stages of the Attitude Era. And and it was unrecognized talent by uh, Vince McMahon because he still liked all his big guys. Oh, for sure. Right? He, yeah. want, he wanted you to be, you know, six foot five and uh, two fifty. Giving me goosebumps talking about these guys. <laughs> yeah, Hooventut <laughs> Guerrero. Oh uh, man, 50 splash. Yeah. yeah, dude, Hoovy was the Hoovy was the air Hoovy. Uh, it's 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 fun to like. It's fun to think about it when you're like thinking about it now. When you're like, oh man, it was this wealth of talent and all these guys were doing stuff, but. Looked at looking through it, like looking to it now, it's uh, it's difficult to appreciate back then what some of these dudes had to endure to get to the levels they were coming up through, and like how how fame kind of eluded some of these guys. Like Ray Mysterio is a great example of this, a dude that started out as a pretty big deal in like AAA in the early '90s. The you know that's Lucha, that's Lucha Libre if you are really interested, and uh, he was doing a lot of stuff down there and got brought up to WCW and just kind of slogged through the the lower card for years before finally getting like a big mainstream push in the WWF. And I think of guys like that, and I feel like it's not it's not wasted talent because like what they were doing in WCW was great. They just weren't being recognized for it by the people that were paying them. Like they were <laughs> they were being recognized by us, the fans that were like, oh my god, these guys are amazing, but. You know, like in ECW before they got to WCW, like your Guerreros and your Malenkos, like those guys are putting on Harry five star Saturday. clinics, yeah, and they they all show up in WCW and kind of just shift around in the mid card, and all of these dudes would get pushes in other places after they leave. So it's like it's interesting, like like Brian touched on, of people not appreciating the talent when it was the talent. Like it's it's funny that it took so long for some of these guys to really make names for themselves, but a lot of them did do it now. Like the Attitude Era, if it did anything made careers of so many guys that have been struggling for years. Like, think about, like, Mick Foley, a dude that had done re- exceptionally well beforehand as Cactus Jack and other places, but never had, like, that kind of main event appeal that he would get later on in the Attitude Era. So I think if anything about the Attitude Era is underrated, it's the importance that they ended up putting on so many different personalities. Like, a lot of people got a chance to cut, you know, cut themselves some checks, and it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have such a robust competition between these two brands. You know what I mean? 
Oh, yeah. agreed. Uh, you know, competition uh, brings out the best in people, uh, unless you're uh, a different Vince. Um, we'll get <laughs> uh, perhaps. You know, uh, R- Russo. Yeah, that's I couldn't think of his last name. So yeah, 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 yeah. He crumbles under the pressure. It's uh, but <laughs> but uh, you're good. You're good. Take, uh, outside of that, but yeah, the competition. I mean, that's you know, you, you see ratings that uh, that you'll never see again. Um, for you know multiple reasons, I mean DVR and playback, but also because it's a different product and it's just not it's not geared towards that. But yeah, the, the competition between these two um, for the long, for the while brought out the best in, in both. Um, and like you said, I mean, if anything, that you dare uh, gave a lot of people uh, a rub that they wouldn't have gotten uh, otherwise. No, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people began watching wrestling or, or getting involved in some way in wrestling that they'd never had been before during the attitude era and that's you know kind of bringing wcw into it and stuff but um uh i mean i remember being in middle school and nwo was everywhere people were writing it on all the lockers oh yeah it yeah was, I hadn't it was, brought in, it up it was yet, in yeah. the art class you just write it down like you, you know and it was like there were i'd have you know people that i didn't even know watched wrestling would be writing it down and i'd be like do you even watch wcw you know and it like, was a big deal i mean i had yeah. a shirt like it was it was a thing like the 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 sloganeering and like the you know the branding of how they did everything was such that it was super super easy to graft onto immediately just like yeah that's the thing i want to be associated with that because it was cool like wrestling was cool for the first time ever yeah. right like oh, hand yeah, signals yeah. and the, the crotch the, the too sweet too sweeting like <laughs> everybody was everybody fucking did that stuff so it's yeah. you know it can't it can't be undersold just how omnipresent this shit was when you were that age yeah, telling people suck it all the time. We thought we were really cool. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> I, as someone that was not a big DX mark then and isn't now specifically, I wasn't often telling people to suck it, but <laughs> I didn't like turn like a stink eye to people that did because I was like, oh, that's just what people do. So, you know, I don't know, man. It's we're having trouble trying to stay in one place because there's so much to encompass. So, I guess if we're gonna go, let's let's try to put it through a little bit of a timeline. So. We're into 1998, which is kind of like the year that everything breaks. Like the, you know, everything is huge. Wrestling is everywhere. And all these people are becoming like rock stars. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin is a guy we mentioned who had come up through, you know, done done his time in, you know, in territory stuff back in Texas and makes his way up into WCW where he had a pretty decent run, you know, as a tag team guy and as a pretty good worker and, uh, he makes it to WWF and is sort of misused at first. Gets some weird gimmick stuff, like with the Ringmaster ring thing. Yeah. yeah, being like a Ted, TV, Ted DiBiase guy. And then they finally let the dude loose and turns out he can talk forever and ever and people are really into it. Just the, you know, the common man kind of, you know, working against his boss kind of thing that Vince McMahon had set up for himself as being like the perfect foil to all that. So it's uh, it's fun. It's fun when you go through 98 because there's there's a lot of awesome stuff. There is a lot of awesome stuff. Like I, it, it's harder. It's harder for me to look back at all of it now and be like, "Oh, this is super great," because there's a lot of shit too. But you know, <laughs> Austin becomes all huge. The Rock breaks. Mick Foley breaks. Like all of these names that we all like, you know, we throw around now as guys that are legends. They all became legends in 1998. Like that was the year that everybody became yeah. famous. Really out of necessity because everyone absolutely left and and they just rose to the occasion. And you know, you, you're talking about 98, and and I'll, and I'll be honest when you when you invited me to come onto the show I, I was like i'm gonna i'm gonna go through everything and so i was watching i literally watched not i definitely skipped around every raw i put on every raw from 98 and every pay-per-view and skipped around kind of in each one and i could you know 
see storylines and things, but 98 is rough, man. I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah, so, like, at the beginning, I was finding it, I mean, difficult. They had a very uh, – at the beginning of the year, they had a very weak uh, upper card. I mean, it was – it Undertaker, takes time. It takes Shawn time Michaels, to cultivate it. And Stone Cold. And well, Shawn Michaels' injury. Yeah, and he's, he's not help. long for the company. Like he's, exactly. he's almost on his way out the door in 98. Yeah, I mean, at the uh, uh, WrestleMania, that was his last match for, you know, what, till 2002? Yeah, think? like four years. Yeah. Yeah, so um, brief stint as a con- commissioner in between, but that wasn't. <laughs> he's such a joke, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hokiest ass commissioner. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And oh, man. He's, uh, he's, he's great with facial expressions, so that's, uh, that was one of his. That was the only thing he did good as a commissioner. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was a light upper upper card, and they had to start breeding people. You know, they turned to Dude Love, you know, to be a main eventer because <laughs> yeah. they have no one else. You know, Undertaker's feuding with Kane, uh, Shawn Michaels is injured. Like, well, who are we gonna have feud with? And at that point, no one. I mean, he wasn't a main eventer at that point before before then. I mean, he had a couple run-ins with Undertaker, a couple matches in what ninety seven, ninety six when he first came in, but he was never really a main eventer, and, and out of necessity, they made him one, and. Then, I don't know. They just made they made magic with them eventually. Yeah, I mean it takes time, but it's a. Uh, I think it's interesting too that it, you know as they're trying to figure out like get their footing in a main event thing because it it takes about a year or so for them to get <clears throat> to the point where their main event is like on track. Their their undercard starts filling out in a way that's like not great on in, like in match whatever, but you can't forget these personalities like Gangrel and the Brood and this nonsense, the Godfather, the big Val boss Venus. man comes back, Val, Val Venus. Hello, ladies. <laughs> I love that part. So Michigan State was home to the legendary Magic Johnson. Glad he found Terry's wedding ring. Well, tonight, with the big Balboski in town, uh, it's home to the real Magic Johnson. <laughs> What's he mean by that? The Nation of, of Domination. Envy. Like, all of these people that you can remember forever, yeah. all are these outsized personalities, and it didn't really matter if most of them couldn't fucking wrestle because you didn't care. Like, that was, you know, working to its benefit, that their undercard was kind of shit, but... They were fun. Like there was, I can't, I can't think if I'm. If you ask me in my head, it's like, you know, is a match versus is a match of Val Venus versus D'Lo Brown bad? No, because I'm thinking of Val Venus coming out and cutting a promo and being ridiculous, and D'Lo Brown wobbling his head around walking out to the ring. Well, that shit was fun as hell. Don't like, forget the towel. Right? The yeah, towel the towel is Venus. important. The towel the money, is important. The money shot. That's why I have you here, Brian. You, have to, the... <laughs> you have to keep me on. You have to keep me on details. But you know, it's it's hilarious when you think about this stuff because it. As much as they were trying to say that everything had changed, that part is still true. Like, the gimmick was still more important than the wrestling, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was something that would not be as true within, like, a couple of years. Like, it, the Attitude Era is big on gimmick and short on wrestling initially, and then that kind of flips as yeah. the era goes. Mm-hmm. And I think, as Jeremy pointed out earlier, part of that is Vince Russo. So, yeah, the Russo problem is something that we have to talk about, if you want to call it a problem, but... Huh. Vic I think I think that we have to. We'll just bring him in now. We'll talk about him now. Uh, Vince Russo is the head writer from ninety like ninety six ish until about ninety nine, like mid ninety nine. And in that time, according to lore, it's pretty much just him and Vince McMahon. Like the two Vinces are putting together ninety nine percent of the storylines and what everybody is doing. There are good things and there are bad things that come out of the Russo era. Uh, 
the good thing, and to his eternal credit, he gives everybody something to do. So, like, whether or not you cared about, you know, the headbangers, Bradshaw, or the headbangers, <laughs> like, these guys got shit to do. The oddities. Like, people right. that anybody that was on the roster, you got a spot on Raw. Like, everybody had two or three minutes to do something week to week, match to match, which was great. Like, you want to give guys, you know, the, the chance to go out there and do anything, collect mm-hmm. a check, make them feel like they're being used. Is it any of it good? Uh, it, was land, like, it was the land of opportunity before SmackDown became the so right. called land of opportunity. Right, for sure. So, I don't know. Like, in, in thinking about it, it, it's difficult for me to shit too much on Vince Russo because of the opportunities he was giving to guys that probably wouldn't have gotten them otherwise. But he writes a lot of shit, guys. Like, it's just... I, I, as someone that mostly cares about matches and i know this isn't true for everybody yeah. as someone that mostly cares about matches i didn't fucking care what the headbangers were doing yeah. ever because they sucked right like, they were they were terrible wrestlers i didn't care that you know bradshaw couldn't find a tag team partner for some reason or another because yeah. fuck bradshaw he sucked too like <laughs> i, I yeah. just want to see dudes go in there and fight and they weren't giving me reasons like yeah. they were they were all backdoor weird reasons, too. Like, we're just putting two people in a match because. See, I think right. uh, people watch uh, watch wrestling for different reasons. Oh, and, no, that's um, important. It's important to make the distinction. Go and, ahead. And uh, when, when I watch, and still when I watched and still today when I watch, it's just about the big, big spots to me. I don't really care so much about the quality of every single match on the show. I just want to remember that big moment. It's almost like why people go to watch a NASCAR race. You know, there's a lot of people that go just because they want to see the wrecks. And 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 I and, and I feel <laughs> well, that Ed way. Had no shortage of wreck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right on there. So, <laughs> and, and, and so, so you're the Shane McMahon jumping off the top of the Titan. Exactly. Tom, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mick that, Foley through the off the into the Spanish announce table. Those are your. Yeah. Are your so spots. I don't think about the undercard and, and and the garbage that it could have been or was, and, and you know I just think about all the great stuff that happened at the time. No, and that's <laughs> and that's important. Like you know, putting everything in context. People don't remember a lot of matches. I mean, like, let's be fair. Like, if you're just like, if you're some horrible mark and you're all you talk about is fucking star ratings and shit, Ugh. sure, you remember all that <laughs> stuff. But if you're like the general fan, you remember moments. Like, that's what keeps you watching because they will give you something to remember. Like, they have things like Mick Foley being thrown off the hell in the cell, and yeah. you know Vince McMahon revealing himself as the higher power. Like. All of this stuff is shit that sticks in your head forever and ever and ever, and you don't really care that none of it meant anything. If, like, if you think about uh, WrestleMania last year, what do you think the biggest pop was during WrestleMania? Last I year? can't even probably remember Ronda Rousey punching. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Ronda Rousey had the pops all over the place. I think then that's what I would. A think. year ago, I would say when the Hardy Boys came back. Oh, okay. oh you said the year before, before that. Year, okay, a year yeah. ago. Oh, okay. I would say I when the Hardy you. Boys came in, um, and I think that that. You know, uh, hit people with a lot of emotions when they saw that happen. People didn't. (laughs) People they they hit it well. I mean, some people knew something was possibly up, but I mean, the way that they worked it out and the Hardys, even you know, they had a show the night before, and then they were still at their hotel, you know, doing some autographs, and they left at the very last minute, you know, um, and and made it to the show just in time and everything. So people didn't really know. And when it hit, I think you know, it started. Everyone just started thinking of 
all those great spots from the Attitude Era. You know, right. the Dudley Boys, Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and the TLC. And that was just, you know, uh, shoot, they probably started thinking about the Dudley Boys putting uh, women through the tables all the time, every <laughs> single show. Yeah. And, um, I mean, those were, you know... It might have been questionable, you know, the gimmicks and <laughs> well, stuff it was. like that. There were a lot of questionable gimmicks. <laughs> oh. there but was. but it was it was entertaining as hell, right? Yeah, I mean it was, <laughs> but I, I think that actually speaks to something that I you know, if we're gonna kind of just freestyle while we're talking about this stuff, I think that kind of speaks to part of the problem that the current product has and it is it is a byproduct of the attitude era, is that they can't find a way to engarner the same kind of the same kind of loyalty and the same kind of excitement for their own people now. They they aren't putting the effort into it because they keep finding people to bring back to do it for them. Like, hey, cheap pop, the Hardy Boys. It's like, well, you guys have the Usos on your fucking roster. They're a great tag team. Oh, make yeah. people like them more. Like, there's right. there's no reason you can't make them the kind of thing that you did for the Hardys. Like, you should work more with what you have. Well, I don't know if it's that they don't let these guys do the spots or what because, you know, it's like... You know, Jeff Hardy came out and he, he he did he did some good spots and he's been doing some good spots. Um, but you don't see the other guys and it's it's and I don't know if it's you know well part of that is probably because they want to wrestle longer, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. you know, all things being fair, like Matt Hardy can barely walk. Like you know, <laughs> I I love Matt Hardy to death. I'm a huge Matt Hardy mark, but seeing him come out now is painful to me. You know, That's true. Like, I almost don't ever want to see him on TV again because it hurts. So you know. As much as I appreciate them giving rub to the dudes that have, you know, set the templates and stuff, at some point you have to disassociate yourself from the template. Like, you can't keep bringing these people out and parading them as superstars when you aren't doing that for your same people. Like, you know, I think that's a problem. Well, what made the attitude era on you were talking about Vince Rousseau and and the part that Vince McMahon uh, underrates his own product was his guy's own ability to get over with the fans yeah he doesn't let people get over on their own this happens time and time again he's burying rusev and the rusev day and the uh aiden english and it's a great gimmick yeah and that's what the the attitude era was made on it did it was it was built on the fans putting their voices behind people keep bringing the old guys back and saying oh we're bringing it back it's like no you're not because what made it and how to truly bring it back would be to let guys get over on their own with their own gimmicks. I agree with of that. Yes, sure. instead of forcing Roman Reigns down our throat. One, uh, <laughs> one, uh, one rec- another recent one that I kind of think about when you say that is uh, Cesaro. Before he became a Heyman guy, I mean he was he was red hot. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, for no reason. He came out and he was a Heyman guy and he was yeah a heel. after WrestleMania 30 and it was like what the hell is going on yeah here? and those I are mean, two things that I would I would love separately like Paul Heyman huge fan Cesaro huge fan it wasn't meant to be together no. like yeah. you don't want to force that stuff no you know and thinking about things like this like the Daniel Bryan you know push coming from the audience Zack Ryder being another example of this like a guy that got over entirely on his ability to connect with people and then was immediately buried oh, squashed on screen like it was obvious they were burying Zack Ryder like I'm a fan too. you know well, it's it's a thing that definitely wouldn't have happened then like the attitude era was kind of a great way to foster that kind of fan mm-hmm. you know that fan empathy and that fan enthusiasm so I don't know what's made them push themselves away from that model but it's unfortunate and I feel like it is definitely to the detriment of the product um, so yeah, like as moving through it, I think it's important if we also take a look at, you know, if we're moving into 98 and 99, I think a part of what's interesting in the attitude era is that it's not, it's not just that WWF is firing on all cylinders. 
it's going well kind of everywhere. It's a huge wrestling revolution. Like, the indies kind of see an uptick in a small way. ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, is a is a a definite benefactor or a ben- beneficiary of the, the eyes being on the product because they sure. have, like, their own weird misfit thing over in Philadelphia, but it becomes a much bigger deal when everybody's like, oh, there's more wrestling? Oh, it's super crazy? Yeah. Like, that just becomes something that American fans weren't really used to, and uh, a lot of people benefit from this. And WCW is taking... You know, guys from both sides and ECW's doing the same thing. Like, there's just this big, for better, lack of a better term, it's a giant talent exchange between all three of these companies, just mm-hmm. guys jumping everywhere from month to month. And that's something that is is kind of lost now that I feel like the Attitude Era is kind of ruined. <laughs> like, it's it's not that, I wouldn't say it's part of why I think it's overrated, but it's uh, it's definitely, like, to the detriment of the product on the whole when you don't have the same kind of familiarity with everybody. Because they bring people in from other places like Ring of Honor or something. And, like, maybe you know who they are, but you don't know who they are. You well, know what the I mean? hardcore fans the Hardcore fans are, always the, will. The mainstream doesn't. Where in the Attitude Area, the mainstream... You know, I think there were people like me that were watching both shows. Oh, for sure. And they get excited. Oh, Chris... You know, maybe not everyone who knew who Chris Jericho was, but oh, everybody Chris, knew who Chris Jericho. Okay, okay, I mean, that was didn't want Jericho right, so was Jericho a big shows deal. up, yeah, and you know you're excited because you'd seen him on the other show. It, it was sure. sort of the the angle I took with Bret Hart. I was excited to see him go to another show and wrestle new people. Let's talk about let's talk about some of the ups and downs of like specific aspects of like the wrestlers. We haven't we've talked about like angles and stuff, and we've talked a little bit about who was there, but. Let's just let's get a feel for how we feel about some of the stars of the Attitude Era proper because there is a whole shitload of them. We'll just start right at the top with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's kind of emblematic of the era on the whole. I am not a Stone Cold guy. I'm not against Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I'm not a huge fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin. There has to be at least one of you in here, though, right? Like someone, someone was kind of an Austin market in their day. Did anybody have the T-shirt? Did anybody walk around flipping everybody off? I wow. definitely did right. not. I, I had a T-shirt. I think someone gave me, but I wasn't. You <laughs> know, damn. The huge. That's, it is rare. Yeah, you come smart. across nobody. Yeah, like yeah, Stone Cold to me. Um, I he wasn't my favorite during the the era, and you know I, I imagine we'll get to who, whom that is. But uh, <laughs> Goldust, I, I, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, artist formerly known as Goldust. <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> and, uh, um, actually, I liked him better when he was uh, Bible thumping. Uh, never mind. Uh, all <laughs> I right, so. Did too. Um, but yes, Stone Cold. Uh, I, I mean, I liked him. I enjoyed him. I thought it was fun. Um, was he my favorite? No, I, I never bought a shirt. I don't think I bought any shirts to be honest, because I, I don't know. Oh, but anyway, I'm sorry, Jeremy, <laughs> you were too cool to buy Attitude Era shirts. No, I was. Maybe I was just too poor. Huh? <laughs> maybe that was it. All right. Oh, now I feel bad. Nah, it was oh, he turned around on me. I'm just kidding. That's not what it was. All right. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. I, Stone Cold was never my biggest, but I thought what he did and what he and and that in his feud, obviously with, with McMahon uh, in '98 and '99, was what really, you know, made I, made for exciting TV. But he still wasn't doesn't because it was exciting doesn't mean he was my favorite. Because no, that's fair. You know what I mean? It was exciting though. I mean, some cool shit happened. Like I. I I alluded to it earlier, the whole like higher power nonsense angle uh-huh. with The Undertaker and the corporate ministry. And Man, the corporate ministry is one of those things that you just laugh at when you see now. It's like 20 guys standing in the ring while one of them talks for 25 minutes. And it's like, how did this ever fucking happen? I laughed but, at the time. I hated that angle. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> <laughs> I think I watched more WCW but after that specific angle. The great thing that comes out of it is that the my favorite memory of Stone Cold Steve Austin is when he... Uh, 
Linda McMahon, quote unquote, made him the CEO of WWF. So he had those awesome segments where he was walking around the WWF like Titan Towers and telling people what to do and being like the boss. And it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> if you're going to watch anything that I'm talking about, watch that. <laughs> like it's, yeah. It is such comedy nonsense of him just walking into boardrooms like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm the vice president of marketing. I don't like your face. You're fired. Like just <laughs> that. That's classic shit. Well, let me ask a few questions. Find out what you do, what your damn names are. Yes, be good. You do what? And you are who? I'm Dennis O'Rourke, Senior Vice President of Marketing, Research, and Development. Really? Wow. Is that supposed to impress me? I hope so. Well, you're fired. <laughs> what do I do? You're fired from looking stupid. Now get your ass out the door. So get your ass out the door. I never did like that guy. He's been here nine years. It, it gave us that. The attitude era gave you a lot of weird shit that was, you know, in that vein. And Austin, Austin is interesting in that I personally think that he was much better as like an in-ring talent before he got to WWF. And then, you know, via injury. Well, and, yeah, part of that know, was the, the pile driver. Part of it was, but via injury stuff. and via, I don't think, having to try as hard, he just can kind of coast Be on a, a gimmick. Yeah, and just brawl his way around, and it was perfectly suitable for him. So it's it's interesting to me that this happens actually with a few of these guys, but Austin being like the main, I think the main culprit of a dude whose best days were behind him, and then he caught fire at the right time and got to sail off into the sunset on top of the world. But... You know, all right. So I guess we're not all Austin guys. That's that was interesting. Um, what about DX? We brought up DX. That's kind of like the second thing I think of when I think of the Attitude Era, right behind Austin. Um, d- fuck DX. <laughs> but that's that's one man's opinion. Someone has to have something nice to say about DX. I no no. I like DX. I'm, you know, early DX was great, but then then when they brought in. Um, not so much X Pac, but when the, the I, I was a New See, Age outlaw. I love X Pac. Like See, I was a New Age. That's the dude I ride for. I liked X-Pac's One Two Three Kid back in the day. So, right? Yeah. So show you where I'm at. I loved um, um, Road Dog on the mic and his. Oh, you didn't know? I oh, mean, for I, sure. I, oh, yeah. I'm still Absolutely. into that. I'll do. Can I can I plug my trivia show here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to wait for the end, but yeah, plug it now. I don't give a fuck. No, I'll even do that at the beginning of my trivia show sometimes. It's like you know, uh, the lady, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children yeah. of all ages. So I was I was totally in into that. I'm I'm into the big, the big entrance, the big goofy promo um, at the beginning of a match, more so than than the long promo later on. I, you know, yeah. do, do your big entrance and then. And then get like you get to the wrestling. See, I felt uh, I felt that DX was kind of a ripoff because NWO did it first. Oh, they were they yeah. were a hardcore and, and, NWO. And, and, and so you know, and yeah, but for DX me... did it better. I mean, <laughs> when they when they took over Nitro and they took the tank and the, you know knocked on the door oh, to the building. Oh, that was incredible. I mean, obviously that was incredible. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I I kind of felt like wow, this is they're they're literally just stealing this this right. line you know from the other show can't they figure out something better at that point and uh and i felt like she, nwo has hogan yeah. all and nash i mean that's there's nothing you can do to beat that combination in terms of the name power of course you know i think you know triple h and and Shawn michaels was as, about as good as the wwe could do at the time but you know yeah i uh you know i was i'm not going to try to retroactively think i i didn't like them because i yeah. really, i love them i was a 14 year old boy we were all 14 14 year old perverted boy who loved all these <laughs> dick jokes that uh and uh having giant sausages and putting on the uh <laughs> putting on the headgear with the windshield wipers because sergeant slaughter spitting in their face i mean <laughs> oh that was classic so like i loved I, I was always a big Shawn michaels fan i he's probably my favorite wrestler of all time um but his second half 
from O2 on was actually probably better. For sure. Um, but that original incarnation of DX I loved. Um, and, you know, you, I even had Rick Rude uh, appear on uh, Monday Nitro and Raw at the same yeah, day. Yeah, same day. Uh, oh, <laughs> which so was, great. Um, but, and I did, you know, as much as I disliked Triple H, at the time I didn't know I was going to dislike him. So the, the second yeah. incarnation of DX I also enjoyed a lot. Uh, you know, in rewatching, I'm like, ooh, why did I like this? But I can't pretend that I didn't at the time. And it's it's not a bad time to uh, mention China. I mean, at that time, oh no, for oh, sure, yeah. God, China time, was so important to the it, original. She DX, was though. incredible. She was at, you could you couldn't go anywhere without seeing her. She was, yeah. and she was one of those people that was, I think, bringing wrestling to people who didn't generally yeah. watch. No, wrestling. I agree. She was super over. Yeah. Like people people retcon that shit now, but she oh, was God. probably. Yeah. Look, honestly, if we're being fair, fair, she was the main reason they were so over. Right. Like, having this weird, like, giant woman never that never before. spoke, like, just laying dudes out week yeah. to week. Like, yeah, she was their was bodyguard. Right, she was their quote-unquote bodyguard. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what, why does they need a the bodyguard? I'd... But then you looked at her and you're like, okay. Yeah, the I'd rather be in China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ninth, ninth wonder of the world. Yeah. Oh. Very good marketing yeah. ploy. Oh, it's for it's too bad now that we, you know, it's, it's difficult to... It's difficult that the the company doesn't keep her in the same regard that they hold a lot of other people in because of her, you know, personal issues. Yeah. But right. that's if we're if it's, it's my show, so we're going to talk about it. China is great, and China deserves every bit of credit for DX being as popular as it was I initially. I completely agree. Okay, so The Rock. I mean, like The Rock is weird to talk about anymore because he's Dwayne Johnson now and is like a super known movie star, sexiest man alive, sexiest man alive, like all sorts of things. He has a lot of titles. That's only because I wasn't in the running this year, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting to think back though to what it what it was like, where he came from, from to Rocky get to Mindy, where yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah, like you know, from the white meat, like baby face. I'm wearing all these like puka shells and nonsense. pineapple haircut. Yeah, man, to to become the fucking rock. Like we all know who the rock is. Everybody knows who the rock is. It's, yeah. it's it's you know it's inescapable. So it's it's funny to talk about him in the Attitude Era, but that's what we're talking about. So. Attitude Era Rock is an interesting thing. It's kind of a mixed bag. Like he's he's garbage for a while and then isn't. I and I don't know. I liked I I loved The Rock in the Attitude Era. Yeah, and like I said, I've, I've been rewatching stuff preparing for this, and his the way he can talk now oh, he he incredible. just he just you know reaches in and pulls out the old lines. And, yeah, but yeah. when he did it at the time and what he was saying, how he could talk, it and was how amazing. Could, how I could <laughs> turn a phrase and keep people's attention. I mean. Uh, one of my favorite things, and it's and that he ever did was when he was still in the nation, and he gave everyone watches, and then gave Farouk the portrait of himself. <laughs> portrait of himself <laughs> was probably one of the funniest. And I, even on a rewatch, I was dying. I was like, oh, "This still holds up." It does. The Rock, most of the Rock stuff, as actually still holds up. Like I mean, he was actually funny. I mean, he's multi-talented, uh, like you were saying, on the mic, and then. He was great with impressions. If you know any, yeah. any anybody he was going against or feuding with, he would do an impression <laughs> of him, and it would be incredible, spot yeah. on. And you know, and, and of course, he had the athleticism. To he back was it he, all up. he was a worker. He was one yeah. of the few yeah. in the company that, at the time, could sell a match. Right. He was. I mean, he was green as grass, but he was he was out there doing yeah. it. Like he was trying to really throw down with these guys. And the, you you respect that. You appreciate that right away. The natural. Athletic talent. Yeah, no, the, yeah. it can't be denied. He had the intestinal fortitude. <laughs> yeah. but he wasn't as big as Stone Cold during the era in terms of, you know. Well, not at the beginning. Not at the beginning, no. Right. But I do sometimes wonder, like, if The Rock was The Rock in WCW, do you think 
that would, would that have changed anything? I mean, anything could have changed. Probably. I, 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 I don't, don't know, know if he would have become I, I the think, Rock. I don't think he would have. That's I'm just saying. I'm, but too. I'm saying if he was, <laughs> if he was the Rock in WCW, the Rock that we know all through WWF. There, I mean, it could have. You know, I, we're going sure, off into I, a tangent, right. but this I just is, this is fantasy booking, and that's like I'm down with that. But some crazy WCW booking would have just sunk him. Right. Yeah, and Hogan's still there. Hogan wouldn't have had a guy. Right. Hogan wouldn't have let a guy be on the same level as him. You know, this is my show. Brother. That's true. No, the, so, the rock. The going back to our, our previous little bit of conversation about letting guys get over on their own, and and Vince should like look back at history and and see that he's doing with Roman Reigns how he tried to shove the rock down our throat with the he's the third generation athlete exactly. and he's right. Rocky Maivia and you know watching the, you know and even in early 98 Jim Ross was still trying to sell it you know he's the third generation athlete and is Peter uh, Pete Maivia and you know whatever and then when he got over on his own is when he he became truly great and 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 rock was one of my favorite um people in that era and and still to this day yeah the 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 rock and sock connection with with Mick Foley. I'm glad you brought him up. This is your yeah. life. Is yep. is definitely oh, yeah. I was watching you know, my that yesterday. Yeah. yeah. If Vince Russo ever did anything great, it was that. It was the this is your life segment on on Raw. Uh, Mick Foley was my dude in the Attitude Era. Yeah. So I I can't say enough good things about Mick. I loved the entire Faces of Foley nonsense where mm-hmm. we could just rotate into characters, and they were all different characters. Like yeah. In, you know what made it so compelling is that the dude was legitimately playing four different characters. If it include him himself, himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, between Mick, Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love, they were all distinct personalities, and they actually did different moves. Like not yeah. wholly, but enough to where it was like, "Fuck, he's doing different stuff." Yeah, sweet regardless shit of music. Supposed, yeah. <laughs> regardless of what they have him come out as, and I think Mick Foley is incredibly compelling in that he would. He would be a guy that you would see and be like, "That's an '80s guy." Like he he yeah. had an, a, a past his prime wrestler look, and they threw a fucking leather strap on his face, and he became a superstar. Like it's it's beyond me. And that 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 is a that's an organic thing too because like For sure. Mick was not a guy they pushed past the rest of these dudes, but everyone loved Mick Foley, and they you know the audience as a as a collective wanted him to be in a better spot yeah so that was like a just through sheer willpower did mick foley become like the the real people's champion in my mind and i, I can't say enough great things about no him. i loved mick foley at the time and as much as i said i, I love the rock I, I did love the rock but i liked mick more yeah and i think if you go back to go back to the introduction of Sacco with uh with Vince McMahon oh in, the God, hospital, in the hospital, that was probably one of the best <laughs> like little yeah. moments because it's something they did then that they don't do now is they have a ongoing storyline from beginning to end for the full episode, an entire episode of the show. So you you keep checking in on McMahon, you keep checking in on McMahon, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you got Mick coming out and he goes, "Oh, I got I brought some female entertainment, if you know what I mean." <laughs> and it's this clown blowing, you know, blowing up balloons. It's like. Oh, you got to see the trick she does with a dog. <laughs> I mean, it's great. And then it's like, me, Mr. Shaco. Hey. It is. It's true. It's it's a lost art. Like the, the you know, again, to Russo's credit kind of thing. What he really, he was also like a storylines and angles over matches guy. It's obvious. But it worked in a lot of ways when you would have through lines. Like a whole episode was, was you know, punched up with these segments where people were interacting with each other. And that's dead. Like that's just gone. Yep. So if... If one thing I definitely missed from the Attitude Era is the a, a through line that way, and it, 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 that doesn't center around like Triple H or Stephanie McMahon or something, because that still happens sometimes. But it's to have the interplay between wrestlers, you know, 
kind of sustain an entire episode is something that I think is a true awesome hallmark of the era. You know, to mix results, like they weren't always great, but at least they were trying. Like I I think that was really cool. Um we can talk about like the more the the more tag team aspect of it too, because there was like a big boom in tag teams again that hadn't really been for a few years there. Since the late eighties I'd say. Yeah, for sure. With like the best time in the company's history for a long time. Like, you know, we had Brian touched on earlier with the Hardys and the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian, you know, the Acolyte Protection Agency. Like they may have, they were whatever, but too cool. Yeah. <laughs> too cool is important. Too cool is, right. great. too cool is important. Rikishi is important. Like these guys were over as fuck. So yeah. whether or not we ever liked any of that is whatever. But think, like all this stuff was there, you know. And I think a lot of that um a lot a lot of those tag teams though, you know, it's it's ninety nine, two thousand. Yes. Ninety eight, um, it was we are moving a little forward. Yeah, yeah. So ninety eight was sure. rough, but ninety, you know, because it took a while. Because before that, you had DOA, Headbangers, <laughs> LLD two thousand. It wasn't very good. Los Periquas. Los Periquas. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Speaking of Los Periquas, uh, I didn't realize this until rewatching that Edge in his very first match broke a Los Periquas neck in his very first oh, no match. Shit. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So very first match, two moves in, he that. does a sunset flip over the top rope, hits the guy with his leg on his head. His head snaps to the side. And the match is over. It's a count out victory, and they they wheel him out, and the guy Jesus I don't think it ever came out. Yeah, I was, didn't realize. That. Yeah, I I didn't know either. I and I also forgot that Edge debuted so early on. Yeah, I, oh, he's I been around am, forever. I always imagined him like a ninety nine, you know, two thousand, but he was right there in ninety eight. So I was like, wow. But yeah, the tag teams once they started focusing on him for real, um, like you said, I mean, the probably one of the best matches ever was the TLC. Uh, matches, you know, whether you look like the SummerSlam 2000 or the or, or the uh, I like WrestleMania Mania 17. I'm, I'm, I'm Mania, yeah, Mania over the SummerSlam one, yeah. The, or the earlier, uh, I just watched the um, brood version of the Hardys versus yeah. Edge and Christian, and the <laughs> the first one was was just a ladder match where they were just competing for money, and even that was terrific, right? Because they they just did they did amazing things. Like it's you know, I guess something that I'm always kind of mixed on. Is as a wrestling fan is the importance of like a level of violence, right? Because you know, sure, I like to see guys bleed sometimes. Like it's it's good for storyline purposes. Like you know, it just works. You you can't think of things like the Brett Austin, uh, Brett, yeah, Brett and Austin Mania match with the double turn without having blood. Like right. Austin has to be bleeding when the camera's right on his face, or it just doesn't work. You know, and you you need guys to have color, but. You know, then you have to wonder how far is too far, and I feel like a big calling card of the the era in wrestling in general. Mm-hmm. You know, between ECW and WWF, not WCW so much, but like this stuff was great, but it also set an audience expectation to now be matched every time these guys went out and did anything, and I think that hurts everything after the Attitude Era because there's there's nothing you can do anymore, like. This is unparalleled levels of athleticism and violence yeah. and mixing the two in like a perfect way that it makes it difficult to appreciate regular shit. Like, yeah, you know, I, I agree. And I think that uh, a lot of people back then and probably still now some uh, were on the cocktail, you know, painkillers, drinking and steroids. And oh, for just, sure. Yeah. That's the wrestler's cocktail. And uh, I think during the Attitude Era, you started seeing a lot of guys from the older eras that were on that cocktail pass away and things like that. Yeah. Even newer guys. They started, and, yeah, and they know. started, you know, and that's kind of probably what pushed along some changes. Well, that and knowing what we know now about head injuries, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. it's pretty, some of it's pretty hard to watch, like the Mankind uh, uh, I, I Quit I match with The Rock. Yeah. Just the 
Mm-hmm. It's shot <laughs> unprotected after unprotected chair shot to the head to yeah, dude. to mankind. And Just to make a quick prote- uh, you know uh, distinction too, like if you think of the NFL, people nowadays they call it the no fun league. A lot of times they didn't used to call it that back in the day. And people liked watching a receiver jump up in the air and get smoked from behind. And right. That was fun. Exactly. That was good entertainment. Well, the, the NASCAR you know? car crash. Right. Exactly. Effect. And it's like you can't go back to that. Not to not say. I'm, obviously, we d- we don't want people getting hurt and stuff like that. But that was more entertaining. Not that it was better, but it was more entertaining than you know seeing a quarterback get lit up. Right. You know after th- and and so yeah, we're like you said, the expectation is high. They're gonna they're gonna have to figure out a different way. To hit those highs without those uh, <laughs> those car crashes. Well, I, th- I think um, some of what, and we'll probably get into this a little bit, but I guess we'll bring it up now. What, some of the things that New Japan are doing, um, they, they have the big spots and the, the high match quality without necessarily having the, the huge chair shot to the head. Um, and then even in N- NXT, it seems like they're able to push the envelope without... You know, blood all over the place. No, you can. That's that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I feel like the the baseline has become so high for what people expect from like a spot heavy, like crazy match that it's difficult for like a regular in their lane wrestling match to get appreciated. You know, like for like uh, Jericho and uh, Kenny Omega, like recently with their Mm -hmm. their kind of pitch thing. Like I thought that match was way better than it had any right to be, but I could see people shitting on a, it. No, that match was amazing. Right, that, but that I, was everything okay. it was supposed to be. Exactly. I saw some people shitting on it though for it not being as intense as they thought it could have no. been. But like, what else can you do anymore? Right. Like, there's right. only so much two guys are allowed to do physically without killing themselves. Yep. You know, Shane like, McMahon comes out, walks out to a match. What's your expectation? You know, right? Exactly. Like, even even that insane. now, <laughs> even that now though, that's the expectation. He has to do it. Or no one will care, right? And that is—I think that's bad. (laughs) Like, that's that's definitely part of the reason that I that I have a distaste for the Attitude Era is because of the expectations that it set for a lot of things. And I think that you know you could argue it's like, oh, well, that just means it's great. I think that means it's bad. Like by you know you can flip that either way you want to, and that's just the side of the fence that I choose to be on. So, well, that I mean, that's now we're getting way off topic. That's (laughs) the same problem in the movie industry. I mean, how many more explosions can you have? I can never have enough explosions. <laughs> I mean, personally speaking. Just give me John Wick every every year. Fuck yes. yes. <laughs> you could blow this room up right now, and I'd be like, John that's Wick. a good I way to go. <laughs> I guess I'm alone on that one. <laughs> you're, it's a relevant point, though. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, because, like, you know, when is enough enough? And that's that's valid. I mean, every Michael Bay movie, you know. Oh, well, not him. Yeah, I've, I've got tickets <laughs> to the next five Fast and the Furious movies already. <laughs> I pre-ordered them <laughs> in, in advance. <laughs> in for eternity um we're gonna take a break real quick uh we will come back and we will touch on the second half of the era which is where i'm gonna have a lot more favorable things to say but in the meantime i'm gonna leave you with this and we will come back in just a couple of minutes hey gang dave here and i wanted to tell you thanks so much for listening to the show i'd like to encourage you to listen to some of our friends and affiliates on the srd network uh, for even more entertainment, news, and pop culture, check out shows like The Laugh Tracks, Parsons and Slow, Fanarchy, Grave Discussions, Counting Tracks, SRD Roadshow. There's more. There's a lot. 
But what about sports, you ask? It's in the name. What about sports? You want sports? SRD ringside, on the button, mitten sports talk, out of bounds, pucking around, the whip and nene, and many, many more, including live stream play-by-play for several local high school hockey and football programs. Woo! Find all of this and more at sportsradiodetroit.com. No formats given. Man, Jason Jordan is smarmy. Jason Jordan is a very good character. Yeah, that's pretty good. No. I don't. I admittedly, I don't watch as much now, but I come in and out, and you know. No Gargano. I um, just come in. Champa yeah. and Gargano breaking them up. That was. <laughs> <laughs> that was a natural like, breakup, though. Breaking up to DIY. Oh yeah, that was that was that was, a, was that was a good breakup. That's when you want to break up, but yeah. McMahon yeah, breaks, breaks is, up every tag team. NXT is good at developing stories and putting on matches. The problem is like. Then they get to they the only mid card and they, they only have fucking care. Well, now that's why they got that made that new mid card title. Oh, you said made, get to the main card. Oh, I thought you yeah. said then they get to their mid. No, card. then they get to the main card. And oh. They're just like, yeah, like Bailey. I don't like the I don't like the mid card title in NXT. Is that what it's called? No, yeah, no, 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 yeah no. it's called the mid card title. <laughs> oh, like, that's like North American. Knows. What's it called? North, North American, American title. Oh, North right. American champion. It's like fuck, man. They're not even trying. Like that's just <laughs> we're letting you know what this is. Guess what, motherfucker? Well, they've got the, <sighs> the UK championship, which was like this is Pete the dark, Dunn dark match title. Well, Pete Dunn is <laughs> Pete <laughs> Dunn is <laughs> awesome, <laughs> but yeah, there should be a dark match. The non televised title. The non TV champion. Oh fuck, that's a gimmick that someone needs to have. They should have a streaming like a a streaming champion. The streaming champ. You you can only see this. Well, actually, I guess that's all NXT is, huh? Yeah. Surprise, right. there's no dial-up champion. You know, only yeah. It's brought to you by AOL and some messenger. Oh, my God. I <laughs> forgot how important minutes were back in the day with all these sponsors they had for... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like 1-800-COLLECT. 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 10 10 220 <laughs> You can call, call anybody. You can call 20 minutes for 99 cents. You can call puppies. <laughs> all right, guys. Welcome back. Thank you, as always, for uh, indulging us while we plug the rest of our network. I appreciate it. Please check out some of that stuff. Uh, we are... Proud members of the SRD Network of Podcasts, and we encourage you to listen to everything we have to offer. So, that being said, that's out of the way. Let's, uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit, because we're, you know, sort of doing this chronologically. Uh, we haven't introduced a couple of main players in the, in the WWF Attitude Era, and we're going to do that now. Moving into the, uh, the second half, we'll say 99, 2000. Um, the arrival of Chris Jericho, which we had alluded to earlier, was a big deal. That's one of the moments that I remember the most from oh, the Attitude yeah. Era. Like, that entrance on Raw is one of the coolest things ever. And letting him do it in the middle of a Rock promo is also pretty tremendous, like, considering that The Rock was, like, the dude at this point. Because Austin's injured now. Right. So Steve Austin's off TV for nearly a year. And uh, having The Rock become the guy, I think, is the best thing that happens in this time. And that being said, having Jericho come out and be interrupting the guy on your show is pretty tremendous for a guy that was toiling in the mid-card over in WCW for a couple of years there, but had the pedigree. Like, you know, the dude could go, and it was cool to see him get that kind of main event spot, like, immediately coming in, you know what I mean? Um, and we talked a little bit off mic, but everybody here, we, we got some Jericho marks. I can't be alone. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm wearing his shirt Pretty right sure, now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I love Jericho and, you know, the countdown to the new millennium, even though it took place in, like, what, September, October, something like <laughs> yeah, that? No, yeah. It wasn't. He, he debuted in August, so oh, we were August. months off. Yeah. yeah. So, but the countdown is like, oh, what's this countdown? And then his debut, and then just when his name appears on the screen, 
I was watching it. Uh, I watched it last night, and I still got like goosebumps when it happened. And the crowd, I still do. I the still crowd do. pop. And I was just like, oh my god, this is just the best in- intro they've ever had for any wrestler. I, believe. I think it is one of the best debuts ever. Like yeah. it might just be the best debut ever. I, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it, I cannot say enough about that. And him as a performer, uh, he was just top notch. Well, it is whole career. Not just then. I mean, yeah, no. Before, he's definitely and, carried that, and on. then he's reinvented himself now and so many times. times. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm, my favorite Jericho shtick though is still against Dean Malenko and the Man of a Thousand Holds. Oh, Jericho with a thousand and four. Thousand and four holds. I don't. I don't know. I just. I always like that. One. It is the best. I mean, it fits in. It fits into the era we're talking about. Like Jericho is for for not being in WWF during the beginning of the Attitude Era. He is integral to the the whole wrestling era of you know. Of that time, for like, sure. His WCW stuff is as important to what was happening in wrestling as the rest of this other stuff. Like he had a character. He had, yeah. you know, he had an attitude. Calling he, out Goldberg. Yeah. Oh my God. It's kind of victories over Goldberg. Yeah. Kind of victories over Goldberg. <laughs> and yeah, the man of a thousand and four holds shit is so fucking priceless. Um, Brian, though, you you were not a fan of Jericho. Meh. Not then, anyway. Gonna give that a big meh. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh man, why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it, uh, it's that I wasn't used to. And truth be told, I, I do like that it, his reinvention. Like I was saying, okay, yeah, his well, reinvention is great. But comes back, around for all of us. Eventually. Yeah, back then, I, I don't know. I don't know something about his, when he was on the mic. I felt like he was a level below the big guys. Oh. I felt like he was a level below Triple H and The Rock and Stone Cold. And and I felt like he was like he was like I don't know. For better or worse, the nerdy kid trying to be cool. Maybe that, a little, maybe that, a little too cartoony. Hey, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. That, I get it, but not a lot of people are on the same level as The Rock. But he was definitely better than Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know what you're saying, but I, he was I definitely better. I know this better. show is subjective, but Brian, you're you're just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you I'm made, talking about Triple list. H, I'm thinking <laughs> Triple H during the DX era, and I think I think he did some good things on the oh, mic. Oh, not saying Triple time, H was bad know? on the mic, but I, I will mean, say that I will happily say that Triple H was bad on the mic. <laughs> I'm with you. Triple dude. H didn't learn how to cut a promo until like 2012. <laughs> so the, again, well, he was doing whatever. what was he doing? Commentary on the like 90. He was always a B eight, plus player. Uh, uh, yeah, nice. Commentary on the 98 King of the Ring or something. Yeah, he was, he was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is like the pinnacle of Triple H promos is like him secretly marrying Stephanie McMahon and coming out there and talking about not if, but how many times we consummated the marriage. Yeah. Like that's when that's your when that's your best promo. Yeah. Fuck you forever. I, like actually, I mean, Jer- Jericho <laughs> had a better promo just announcing the entrance in the WCW Cruiserweight oh, Battle Jesus Royal. Jesus Christ is one uh, of the greatest. It is one of the underrated moments of wrestling, period. Jericho announcing all of those cruiserweights coming in. Oh, there's Silver King here. He gets five more wins, he'll become Gold King. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, wow, that guy was they, so uh, funny. They never, like, they didn't, <laughs> WCW only cared about the top, so they just let them, him, they and let he realized that, he so he just did whatever he wanted, and yeah. then eventually they're like, wait, what's going on here? Uh, and then they basically punish him without getting a job out yeah. to Goldberg, <laughs> yep. finally. But, and then getting a better job, period. Oh, oh yeah, and then, so you know, and, last and, laugh. And, you know, truth be told, WWF, because that's what they were then. I'm going to say it now. Yeah, so sure. they dropped the ball with him shortly after he debuted, though. Yeah, they did. And they didn't really have anything for him, and he went on to feud with China for the IC title. <laughs> Which was kind of entertaining. It, it was entertaining. And again, it's you know, it's a lot of that goes to China as well. But they did drop the ball with him, and then eventually you know, they started 
putting him back up. But, I mean, Jericho was always a guy. I mean, I loved him in WCW. And so once he came over, I was like, well, there's no reason to watch WCW anymore. I'll yeah. just continue watching WWF. It's funny because it would not be the only person they would bring over and drop the ball with subsequently. If we, We'd be remiss if we didn't also talk about the Radicals coming from WCW oh. over here in this time. So the I thought you were talking about Big Show. No, I mean he counts too. He's there. Yeah. I mean he he also shows up, kind of in a big deal, you know. And uh, also is the ball is dropped with him also right away. So yeah. you know it's it's funny. God, there's so many people. <laughs> like it's it's difficult. We can't take all day talking about everybody. But I want to at least talk a little bit about the radicals showing up because that was the moment I left. Like yeah. if there was anything keeping me watching WCW, it was this super strong undercard. And yes, I love Jericho, but I'm like I'm gonna stick it out a little bit longer. It's just a couple of months later that the rest of them all show up, yep. and the rest of them being Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and Redacted. Chris, <laughs> Chris Benoit, Chris Benoit. Uh, so, I was uh, wondering what you were going to say there. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned God, it before. Like, it is what it is. Anyway, Chris Benoit came over. So all these guys show up, and they, like, they take the whole heart out of WCW's mid-card by bringing all these dudes over to WWF. They knew it, too. Like, they brought those guys over there as a package deal. Um, fun fact, depending on whose history you believe, Shane Douglas was actually supposed to be the fourth guy that came over there that wasn't Perry Saturn, but it ended up being Saturn instead. And I don't know what that means to anybody, but I fucking hate Shane Douglas, so my feelings may have been different on this group. Not a huge. I was never a huge Shane Douglas fan, except for the fact that I stole his stole uh, gimmick, his, the franchise, yeah. <laughs> for for my. Meh, it's a, it's a good name, yeah. but okay, yeah, not strong opinion one way or another. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting though that. This is kind of where the tide turns. Like, with all of these big-name jumps all happening pretty much the same time, like in late 99, early 2000, it's, we're done. Like, that's, that's effectively the end of the war. Like, the, mm-hmm. you know, and the ratings reflect this. WCW never catches back up in the ratings. They start losing out on the pay-per-views. They're losing talent. At, they're, they're just losing. It's like everybody's abandoning ship. And it's, it's more or less the beginning of the end over there. So, unfortunately, you know, for guys like some of us, we talked about, like, it was cool to have both shows to watch and piggyback, but Raw had already won the war as far as talent was concerned. But then, like, into 2000, they put the foot onto the gas, and then everything comes into place. We've forgotten a large name in this, uh, who also shows up around 99 and early 2000. Uh, and part of the reason that the watching became so much more fun for me, uh, Kurt Angle debuts at some point. <laughs> I don't remember the exact date. But Kurt Angle is also add him into the mix of all these guys showing up in 99. And that makes effectively watching Raw the only thing I want to do. Now like, we're talking. Yeah. Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle is probably the most, in my mind, the most underrated piece of this entire puzzle, like the Attitude Era. Because I think he's by far the best wrestler. Like it's, it, I mean, I'm not trying to be shitty and like super mark out, but he was better than everybody immediately. Like all the top name guys, Kurt Angle was better than everyone. And had a character unparalleled to people that should be debuting like this. Like, the dude came in ready-made to be, shit, like, a shitty heel and yeah. was perfect at it. You know, like, I don't want to turn this into angle cast. That'll be another show. But if I'll we, be here for that. <laughs> if we can talk about him for a minute, I can't speak to enough how important to me Kurt Angle was in the Attitude Era because he was my favorite part of it, like, all the way around. It, did, it, it took me that long to get to where I was like accepting of this thing, this entity, mm-hmm. and Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle was what pushed the scales. So I don't know. Let's talk a little about Kurt Angle. And Kurt and Kurt Angle versus Redacted. Yeah, I didn't, oh. I didn't like him. I didn't care for him at the time. I'm you know pushed too fast, too quickly. But in retrospect, now I'll say 
I was wrong. I mean, <laughs> no. I'm glad you was, can take it as much as you can dish it, though. He, he was, was no, I was wrong. He was he was truly great. The the mic work right away was truly great. Um, the matches with with Chris Benoit. I mean, one 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 of the few guys that could keep up with them. No, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a thing. Uh, Brian, Brian, say something about Kurt Angle. Oh, so many moments uh, <laughs> that you know off the top of my head. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because when Stone Cold came out with the beer truck, to me that wasn't a huge thing, but I loved it when Kurt Angle came out with the milk truck. <laughs> is, um, it that, is it that much character based? Because I thought the beer truck was awesome. But like, I, I don't know. I, it I, is kind I, of funnier than yeah, it's milk, I guess. And, and then. You know, in in all these little spoofs he did, and then he came out on his motor on his little moped, you know, and, and then he wore the little hat, you know. Well, see, a lot of that stuff I enjoyed, but I'm pretty sure a lot of that was after the invasion. It, right? it was a lot and of it. So was. the initial run, if we're talking strictly attitude, Kurt Angle, I would like going, looking back, I, like like Brian said, I I wasn't I was never a huge fan at the time because I just didn't. I, there were so many other guys I liked, right? And he was good. Um, and then I really started loving him once, kind of the invasion, once that stuff, the him and Stone Cold, you know, the Jimmy Crap Corn. <laughs> and I, 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 th- I think that's where my original interpretation came from, is I remember him more during the invasion angle, and I absolutely hated the invasion angle. Yeah. That's when I, you know, went on wrestling hiatus for a while. For sure. Was, was when the invasion Talk happened. about dropping the ball. Yeah, yeah, we will come to that. <laughs> the it's, other thing uh, for Kurt, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. The other thing for Kurt Angle for me is um, that was probably the first heel that I ever really liked. Oh, wow. Oh, I that's always, deep. Yeah. Wow. So I was always a face guy Jeez, all the time. you were like a junior in high school. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I was fa- it was fate. Everybody is, I was always rooting for the faces. And then Kurt Angle is came along. Is this when you and found he, out that wrestling wasn't I know. <laughs> Kurt Angle came along and just t- turned my world upside You're like, down. You're like, why would this guy lose? He's an Olympic medalist. Right. These guys are exactly. Olympic medalists. He's legitimate. It makes sense. Yeah. Of course he would win all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> but yeah, Kurt um still put I mean still put on amazing matches from the beginning and he uh I was I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't dislike him. I, I liked him, I just wasn't a huge fan. I didn't grow into it until later into his career and then when I really liked him he left. <laughs> so was, yeah, right after the time it took well, you to get into it. Did he start out as a mark for Stephanie and he had undefeated streak and Not right. The, I mean, yeah, kind, kind of. of. Like the undefeated streak was something that he hung his hat on like right away. And, like, they played that up. And he would lose matches and then still pretend that he hadn't lost them. Because they weren't legit losses. It'd be, like, a count-out or something stupid like that. So I wasn't watching wrestling a lot at this point, but I did watch it during the Kurt Angle era. And there's a great story where he comes in the ram's horn for you folks who don't <laughs> live in the Dearborn Heights. Local Te- reference. I'm, te- I'm telegraph. Yeah. I'm telegraph. Local reference. He comes in, and he's meeting Rhino, and he's meeting a couple other guys at the restaurant. And he sits by himself. Has a W his WrestleMania jacket on. This is after the show at the Joe. Gets a plate of food, and five or six people buy him food at the restaurant. He eats it all. <laughs> just you know, he's like, yeah, hey, you, you know, like people will come praise him. He's like, yep, act like he's healed. He's like, yeah, just dismissive, <laughs> just being like, just really kind of like not jerky, but kind of like I know who I am. Right. Yeah. You know, he eats all the food. Him and Rhino are just laughing it up the entire time in the back corner of Ramshorn, and I sat there watched like. In awe of this man who's just <laughs> just eating food. Yes, eating food like a normal <laughs> human being. Just was awesome. <laughs> I actually have a fun Kurt Angle Ramshorn story. If I could devolve this into personal stories, I was working at that Ramshorn at the time. Not that time, but another time. And Kurt came in. This was a thing. Wrestlers would come to this restaurant that 
was in the neighborhood because it was near the airport and some guys were from the area, so they would come there a lot. And uh, Kurt Angle was one of the guys that came in, and he came with, like, this giant bodyguard. This is, like, 2005. And uh, he's this giant souped-up dude. I don't know who the fuck he is, but he is a big, big boy. And he doesn't look familiar to me at all, but Kurt does. I'm like, oh, my God, it's fucking Kurt Angle. Like, you know, I want to approach him, but I don't know what to say because I'm just going to mark out if I walk over there to him. So I don't the whole time. So at some point, I go out to take trash out out the back door. And I know that my shift's going to end in, like, 10 minutes. So I'm just like, I'm I'm just going to go putz around here and talk to this guy. So I'm going outside, and we're, like, sitting there with my buddy, and he's in the car. We're all about to leave, go to a party or something. And then Kurt Angle walks out the other door, and he's, like, walking out the front building. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is the chance. Like, if I'm going to say anything to Kurt Angle, I got to say it now. So I look, and I see this dude, and he's huge, and then Kurt Angle's there, and Kurt Angle has a purse. Like, it's like a strong, like a shoulder-slung bag. So it's like a man bag. But that's the first thing I see in my head is, like, Kurt Angle has a purse. I'm like, oh, fuck, Kurt Angle wearing a purse. So I just scream out, like, Kurt! And he looks over at me, I'm like, nice purse! And then jump into the car. <laughs> jump oh, into the car shit. and fucking peel out. I didn't punch <laughs> out. I just left the building. I couldn't even go back in because I was too afraid that Kurt Angle would come in there and beat my ass for yelling about a purse. So that's my Kurt Angle interaction story. One uh, of my favorite wrestlers ever. I dropped the ball and effectively called him a pussy. <laughs> so, guys, that was fun. Yeah, he'll probably listen. Yeah. Just, uh, so, Kurt, if you're hearing this, sorry. Going, going by your description, I believe it was a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. It's good that somebody defended Kurt's fashion choices. We're in a state where the motto is, Virginia is for lovers. What's wrong with that? Pornography. And not to be a critic... But as I look around the crowd tonight, I realize that motto should be extended a little bit further. Hey. Maybe something like this. Virginia is for lovers, provided those lovers are not from the same family. <laughs> and that, my friends, is true. It's true, it's true. So, enough about Kurt Angle. <laughs> um, so, we're heading towards, you know, we're rapidly approaching like towards the end of the era here, but... It's uh, it's not without its pluses. Like this is the time that I started getting really, really, really into the product. Now, like I'm tentatively, I'm way into wrestling the whole time, but I'm flipping. I'm trying to find other stuff. You know, like I'm, I'm all over the place. But it became WWF only in like 2000 for me. So that's when we see like the big uptick and the the tag stuff that we had talked about. All the TLC stuff starts happening around then. Kurt Angle is everywhere. The Rock is the total mm-hmm. guy. Like. And if I ever liked him, Triple H was mostly tolerable in this era. Like, he did put on a couple of decent matches and was having feuds with guys that I thought were interesting. So this is, like, the culmination of everything that they had worked for. Like, they are now, top to bottom, great. Like, all the the undercard is great. The main event scene is great. The storylines are pretty good. Like... They're, All the angles they're coming up with are interesting. Yeah, they're doing they're doing stuff with everything. And, and and looking back, if you look at the year 2000 and just look at the lineups for the pay-per-views in the it's year so 2000. It's so stupid. It's it, arguably WrestleMania is the worst lineup. Yeah, I know. When you compare it. When you look at everything else. Look, it's right? like fully loaded. Like it didn't matter yeah. what card you picked. They were stacked. I mean, yeah. every one of them. There was great matches top to bottom and everyone had everyone had uh something to do whether I mean, whether you liked it or, or not, there was something going on that was for somebody. Someone was enjoying it. When like, was the uh, the uh, start of the Kiss My Ass Club? Jesus, I don't even know. I didn't. That's uh, the one thing I don't have research. I think that I think that was uh, two thousand because I, I William Regal was the GM. At oh the time. God, yes. And I think that was two thousand. 
beginning of 2001, but I think 2000. It's, it's, I'm it's just still guessing. well within the bounds. Like it's, yeah, It yeah, is yeah. an attitude okay. stable. <clears throat> it's, uh, man, William Regal. See, it's the names we'll forget. Like, there's... There's too much to cover. There's just too much to cover, and we weren't we weren't going to be able to cover all of it. But we're really trying, guys. Um, <laughs> a real man's man, William Regal. Uh, yeah, talking about a terrible. He's gimmick. the goddamn best. <laughs> He's uh, his. If I didn't love Mick Foley so much, I would say his commissionership was my favorite during the time of like people doing it. My it's Mick Foley first. Regal is the like one A to yeah. the Mick Foley one, but. You know, it's probably William Regal. William Regal's such a great guy. Am I the only one that enjoyed the anonymous Raw general manager? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Horrible. Uh, Horrible. Absolutely. Oh, man. All right. We won't won't spend too much time on that. We will not. (laughs) Moving right along. Um, So let's just jump to what we effectively will call the end of the Attitude Era, which is, you know, it's nebulous at best, but it's, it's really the end of when everybody really thinks of it this way. So that's, you know... Or uh, late March 2001, WCW finally closes its doors and is bought out by Vincent Kennedy McMahon. So the whole five years prior, four and a half years prior of all this has finally come to its logical conclusion. One of them has to die. And that happened to be WCW. And it was sad. Like WCW, it sucked ass for two years at that point. And I was bummed. But I mean, you know, it had to happen. Like something had to, something had to give for for this to for this to ever like reach a natural conclusion that that's what it was and in looking back like you know in thinking about the attitude era it's impossible for me to divorce the importance of the two to each other so I mean, were you guys were you guys still watching WCW at that point they i don't think they could recover after the uh they reached the apex of the the crow sting storyline once they once they got you know that completed it was hard for them to do anything else to compete mm-hmm. with the I mean, nwo splitting up yeah nwo getting back together you know, 30 members of the nwo <laughs> you got jeff two jarrett fa- two or three running, factions yeah running an nwo version i mean if jeff jarrett's your nwo leader yeah you're in you're in a bad place get out of here the finger poke of doom we didn't oh we didn't get to that's we will get to that right now how about we do that now i was gonna take i want to take a couple of minutes and we can talk about some of the, since this show, we haven't done a great job of keeping to the letter of what we do. Uh, some of the more overrated or underrated moments of the era. I suppose we can include WCW stuff if you want to. But uh, in speaking strictly from the WWF perspective, I think it's easy to remember a lot of these things as like things that were great. But I'm gonna, I'll start with my overrated things, like my overrated specific things of the era. And one of them is the the writing like i i feel like we remember a lot of these moments and we think back to like how great these things were and like the thing like the backstage segments and some of the the in-ring promos that were great like jeremy talked about uh the nation of domination and the rock and everybody watches like there was great shit to be found but mm-hmm. by and large i think it's terrible <laughs> like i i did not care for most of the writing in the attitude era i hated 90% of the angles initially in the Attitude Era, I hated the Ministry of Darkness, I hated the Corporate Ministry, I hated the Corporation, I hated DX, I hated a lot of stuff. Like, that's, you know, again, we come to this for different things, but if I wanted angles, these were not the angles I wanted. So that's, like, that's my big overrated of the Attitude Era. What about you, Brian? You got anything that you think is overrated about this? Um, 
No, I was going to kind of, I, I don't think too much is overrated on the Attitude Era. I was going to say, <laughs> in terms of, I, I might think of something, but in terms of like the writing and stuff, I think guys had more freedom on the mic than they do now. Uh, you know, a lot more freedom than they do well, now. Well, yeah, than they do now. And, and, and it, made, it, it made for more interesting TV to me yeah. um, with that kind of stuff. My overrated is, and she was hugely over, was Sable. I mean, everybody <laughs> It took watched, us the whole show to bring yeah, Sable. Everybody yeah. watched, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of, a main, lot of people did. Uh, mainstream audience that wasn't really that much into wrestling, they tuned in for Sable. Yeah. And uh, she was, I, I just, she was all right. She was attractive. It was the, you know, one of the top selling, I don't know if the record still stood, but at the time, the top selling issue of Playboy of, of all time or something. And, Honestly, I thought Sonny was about. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it goes without saying, but but you know, you're right though. It's it's crazy. It's the it, the if you want to call it involvement, I'm putting it heavily in quotes of you know of women in the Attitude Era was so well, minimal. Like, oh, it was awful. Yeah, to Going the back. you know the beginning. Like at the very end of it, you got snips of like you know Trish Stratus and Lita like actually wrestling. But even then, a lot of that was mired down in them being naked half the time. Yeah, or half naked. Panty matches. Panty matches. Lots of bra and women, panty Women's wrestling <laughs> now is far and away better. Oh, than oh man, it's, it's not even. It's, it's the best. It's literally the best it's ever been in it because because up until now, it barely has existed. And Sable is a big reason why yeah. it, it was so fucking horrible. I mean, as a as a horny teenage high school boy at the time, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, in in hindsight, I'm like, ugh, this is just ridiculous. It's, yeah, man. I mean, we got the internet now. I mean, what do we need that for? <laughs> well, they didn't then. I, I mean, know. they kind of did, but 14-year-olds didn't know how to use the internet. Right. I mean, uh, you know, we tried. AOL. I'm, I'm, we, not we. They tried. I'm sure I'm not including myself. <laughs> but I, I remembered my overrated, you guys are going to hate me, Chris Jericho. Oh, <laughs> uh, Well, we already talked about him. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I hope everybody enjoyed having two Brians because there will only be one next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I kid, I kid. So, you know, and touching on the some of the overrated aspects and some of the aspects in general, it is important for me anyway, as someone who has often said the attitude era is overrated to give it credit where credit is due. So I can talk about some of the underrated things. Jeremy, I forgot you, didn't I? Yeah. Go nuts, man. I'm sorry. Nah, it's all right. No, no. Uh, see, I don't know for me and I don't even know if it's rated what it's rated currently in, in the, in the mindset of people, but however you rate it, but, McMahon Helmsley era is so overrated. I hated it so much. Well, I hated I, it then. I, I hated it then. I hate it now. It Every, still exists. Then, I know now forever. Yeah, <laughs> McMahon Helmsley. It was, and, and there was people. If you were a Triple H fan, you loved it. But oh, I, sure. I was not. And McMahon Helmsley era, and it just, uh, it was. See, those Double. are the those are the things that kept me kind of holding on to WCW. Like yeah. they would do something like that, and I'd I'd switch back yeah. and say, "All right, what do you got, WCW?" You know, and the the Greater Power was another one that yeah, you know, and and if I can have a, a, a like a one one A overrated that <laughs> sure yeah, um, we we probably touched on how one of the, the draws of uh, of Monday Night Raw at the time was the unpredictability because of them you know they had to be but the problem with that is there were so many title changes random heel turns random teams put together just ra- the most random things happening like uh when i was going through the pay-per-views i, w- I would go from one pay-per-view to the next 
and people that were feuding were now all of a sudden tag team partners and champions. I'm like, wait, what just happened? I'm like, and then I got to go back. I go, oh, they lost their title on the Raw after they won the title. Then they won it back, and then they lost it, and now we're at the pay per view. I'm like, wait, what, what happened? <laughs> it here? was, it was a week to week thing. That was that was a big Russo credo. It was just like you never know when it can change. You know, like, right. Just being all well crazy on the twenty four seven rule with the hardcore title. Now, oh, the, okay, well, that's, wait, okay. Wait, wait. <laughs> we got to talk about underrated. So we're gonna talk about underrated things. <laughs> we can, if we can talk for a minute. We talked about the overrated. So I would like to take a minute to talk about what I think is underrated. And the twenty four seven hardcore title is the most underrated thing in my mind of the Attitude Era. I know a lot of people shit on it because it's like, oh, it cheapens the belt. I'm like, it's a fucking hardcore title. No one right. cares. But the absolute fucking anarchy of having people running around outside of wrestling arenas <laughs> yeah. like at like you know theme parks or like pinning a fucking, people in their sleep pinning right? people in their sleep like that element of that nonsense was just that kind of thing i super appreciated like i i know it is dumb it was dumb then yeah but oh my god did i love every fucking hardcore thing that happened like the matches were all trash that none of that mattered the fact that you know, people could like across. Was it WrestleMania 17? Like across the whole pay per view. Yeah, it changes like twelve. Yeah, they times. started with the battle royal, and then I think Christians like has it and he's leaving in his car. Yeah, not Christian. Someone else was like leaving in a car because Molly Holly wins it at one point, and then has yeah. it taken away by Christian, like hitting her in the face with a door. Like yeah. just the most nonsense bullshit ways you could swap a title yeah. around. And it all happens in like you know three hours. There's yeah. like seventeen champions. I know like, I literally just said unpredictability was overrated, but yes, this is the exception. This is the to exception the to the rule. I totally agree with because you. Because I am one hundred percent with you. I loved the twenty four seven rule. I loved Crash Holly weighing over five hundred oh, pounds or something. Super heavyweight crash. Super heavyweight Holly. crash Holly. He was the best carrying that scale around. Yeah. Oh he, rest in peace. Yeah. We could have said that all <laughs> all show. Um I know, but I love him. But yeah, I am one hundred percent with you that the twenty four seven rule was and the hardcore title was just the greatest thing at the time for me um i i definitely agree with that as well um but uh i would say my most underrated the the character of vince mcmahon i mean i i, I dude I, you know that's totally fair we have not talked enough about him but yeah go ahead i mean so much of that character was you know the center of everything going on at the time and uh it, it just evolved into i think this thing that he didn't even see it evolving into and uh when it, it got to the point where when you saw him you weren't changing the channel. You knew something crazy was going to happen. Right. And so you were going to be there for the duration. You weren't switching to WCW when Vince McMahon was walking down the, <laughs> walking no, down you the aisle. No, you were not. Were you? <laughs> even, when, even when it wasn't necessarily crazy, it was just Vince being a character. The moments are flawless. Like yeah. him training to fight Stone Cold Steve Austin at Royal oh. Rumble is still some Amazing. of the best work I've ever seen them do. Like him lifting, like doing sit-ups with the plate Austin. on him. I hate Austin. I hate Austin. Like <laughs> chasing a chicken and Shane McMahon's yelling at him through a megaphone. Oh, Dude, right. that's, that's some of the best character work I've ever seen. And it was all from a non-wrestler. Like Vince McMahon had no reason being as good at that as he was. And yep. he was that and more. Like, Who knew? It, yeah. If we didn't, yeah, we did not talk enough about Vince McMahon, the character. And I'm glad you brought it up because that is... 100% an underrated aspect of this. He is he is like central to all of this working, I think. Like you you can't have an Austin without the McMahon, you know, like it's it's that important. So, what about you, Brian? I has said, you know, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm, I'm a match quality guy. Um that's why I watch a lot of WCW. Um lesser I know the the cruiserweights on WCW were were exceptional. And in in reviewing some of this, I came across and the light heavyweight title in WWF was was awful for the most part. But some early stages of it, when Takamishinuku 
was the the champion in the late heavyweight division. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There were some solid matches there on the undercard in an otherwise completely you know nothing undercard. That they were, were trying some, more to compete with the WCW. There were some great spots yeah. point. there that you know didn't get appreciated, and then it you know kind of devolved devolved into some of the other crazier stuff instead but yeah but there were some good moments there no they were absolutely sure. yeah. takami tanoku is a dude that is like wrestled past that for for a fucking ever like he still might still be right? active yeah like and he was a solid hand i mean you know i wasn't super familiar with japanese wrestling at the time so coming into it like later would find that that dude's been around forever and is pretty good at what he does so it's like it was cool that they were trying more then and that was in direct competition with the cruiserweights over on wcw and they probably didn't do enough with it, but they, you know, they had some cool moments, and like just Kai and Tai in general was kind of cool. Like, you know, uh, having my dude whose name is escaping me right now. No, the oh, I thought you were gonna talk about the feud n- number one SmackDown announcer. Why, why oh, can't I Funaki. Yeah, Funaki. Funaki. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to look Indeed. up. Yeah, what was his name? So I couldn't figure it out. having both those guys around, they uh, giving them actual characters is you know the voiceover dubbing thing is a little dubious, but yeah. you know all things being fair, being the era, it was pretty funny, and I don't know, I uh, I always like you said, I kind of wish they would have done more and like had a bit more of that element, but what they did do with it was pretty good. And Valvinus as a good example of that, like, yeah, they threw together some good matches and shit. So go ahead. Uh, so, you know, I was going to totally use the 24 seven rule, but <laughs> since you used it, uh, I was thinking like, what else was underrated? Uh, one of the things I find that was underrated, well, I, I just loved Al Snow at the time when he, oh, came, when he came and uh, truth be told, I went to the raw, the Zamboni. I was at that Monday night raw, and I wrote, like a nerd wrote, help me backwards on my forehead, <laughs> <laughs> even though it was probably in the nosebleeds and no one else would see no. me. But uh, You were part awesome. of it, though. That's what everybody I, did. We I, all brought signs. It didn't yeah. matter how far away you were. Like, And uh, I think Al Snow had probably one of the best finishers. I just It was a very underrated finisher, the snow, the snow plow. plow. yeah. It's like a, that suplex uh, body slam combo right under the shoulder blades. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I was just a big Al Snow guy. Him and, head, and then Head Cheese. Trying to do something with Steve Blackman. God bless. See, I told you, there's too many people. We just can't talk about all of them. <laughs> well, I've, I've got another one that you just said. It. The signs. The signs are are great in the audience. And my when I was watching some of this, my wife picked it up. The yeah. signs. Those are so funny. And <laughs> and t- t- there's something to be said that when I watch wrestling now, she just goes into the room. And I, when I was watching some of the attitude stuff, she, you know, would sit and watch for a couple of minutes. Yeah, and it right. took her in a little bit, but. The signs and just, and even the crowds, just how over they were for some of these guys and how enthusiastic they were. Maybe we don't give enough credit. I'm getting hokey here. We don't give enough credit to the people. No, we give too much fucking credit to the people because oh. part of the reason that I fucking hate wrestling now is the crowd. I'm with Shut you. up, you bunch of stupid marks. You can't put yourselves over when other people are trying to do a job. Right. Sit there and watch the damn matches and stop chanting shit. Get rid of the beach you. balls. <laughs> That shit drives me nuts. Just I don't know what it is about it, but it's it's wrong. Like no. at least you can have all the fucking signs in the world. I'm totally fine with that. But it all dies the minute everybody starts chanting what. That was like seriously when I turned the tide the what on chant, how I feel about the crowds. what chance awful. I almost wish that they would just record this shit in empty fucking arenas. I, I hate the crowd that much. Oh, they did once. I know, and that I was, was and match. I love that, that shit. That was a great match. Like, yeah, totally. The this is awesome chant is fine. No, it isn't. Because they, they use it all the time. Much. They use it everything. Awesome. Two dudes stare at each other for two seconds. This is not awesome. They're staring yeah, at each other. They should only use it when the Miz comes out. It's better. <laughs> well, agreed. But, but the what chant is, is the crap. And I'm people still you. do it. It drives me insane. Yeah. 
I was watching a, a fucking Raw from like 2012, and Paul Heyman starts cutting a promo, and they start chanting what? And Paul Heyman's like, addresses it directly. He's like, oh, well, you're only chanting what because you're not actually understanding what I'm saying, and shuts it down entirely. <laughs> because Paul Heyman can do that because he is a genius. But, oh, I'm sorry. I got a little <laughs> heated there. I went off on a tangent. Well, don't, we, don't we all want to be... Our own pro wrestler, though. Cut our own promo. No! <laughs> I want to watch people that are professional do that shit for me. That's why I watch. I'm not a wrestler. I could probably cut a promo, but I'm not. I can't. You know what you I mean? You could cut like, a promo. But I'm not going to try because people get paid to do that, and I watch them do it. So shut up and let them do it. Like that, that is my personal opinion. I just went heel on the audience, so that, that's fun. That's a, good, that's a good enough bow to put on the overrated, underrated things. Um, so we are going to say this is, you know, how we feel about stuff. I guess if I would say that the Attitude Era is overrated, I would want to compare a couple of other things that I think are better. Like, you know, this goes to whoever your preferences are. But um, I was also a big fan for the Federation Era stuff, of like the 93, 94, 95 kind of WWF. I'm not saying it's objectively better, but that's definitely where I cut my teeth a lot. And, like, I was a huge Razor Ramon guy. Scott Hall's my favorite wrestler ever. And that was when he became, like, a big deal. I'm really into that. Um, even, like, uh, earlier WCW, which is also trash. <laughs> like, uh, 94 is a great year in WCW. That had a lot of cool pay-per-views, a lot of fun angles and stuff. I guess if I'm saying, if I'm telling you any of this, it's because I want to at least give other eras credit. Because it's everything that happens before the Attitude Era gets to happen apart from it. Everything that happens after the Attitude Era has the stench of the Attitude Era on it. So I guess, you know, in taking a minute to kind of reflect on that, we're going to talk real quick to to send us home about now you know so if the attitude era is overrated what is now like how does it compare 20 years ago to what we have now well if i think if we're talking in ring work i don't the roster if you look from nxt to the top is deeper in ability than it's probably ever been as far as utilizing that in storylines, now is not a good time storyline-wise. They, they, they either extend things too long or they ignore things that are working. And But if you're talking about, like, you, it took a long time before you would see, like, a 25, 30-minute match on Raw back in the Attitude Era. Oh, for sure. But now you get two guys. Like, Seth Rollins, to me right now, is currently my favorite. Like, best in-ring worker right now. And yeah, if I absolutely. could see... If you could say, all right, we're going to headline WrestleMania with like AJ Styles and Seth Rollins and say, here, here, take my money because I want to yeah. see that match. Make it no time limit or give it an Iron Man. I'll watch it. Stop, stop taking my ideas. Here. But, <laughs> sorry. But, as, but now they're not, as, as talented as they are, they're just not utilizing it the same. And so if we're talking, if we're comparing attitude to now, storyline wise, attitude is much better. Work rate wise, now is, is a better time. It's not even close. But. Yeah. But yeah. Well, whoever to to say what's better, I think you're going to go outside WWE and look at other promotions and look at the indies. All right, yeah. Maybe fair point. Maybe Lucha Underground, which maybe I'm too much of a mark for Lucha no, Underground. No, I love Lucha Underground. I think Lucha Underground, the booking, the story. Dario Cueto is actually my favorite uh, on-screen authority figure of all time. It's, I think yeah, he's I'd, I'd say there's an argument to be made there. That that I don't want to make this all about Dario Cueto, but <laughs> but but the ability to to make matches that count for something on a consistent basis, the way they utilize Dario Cueto does that. But then um, New Japan, the work they're doing there, storyline wise and match quality wise, uh, is far superior to the Attitude Area era. 
Um, I uh, I probably can't speak too well on Lucha Underground, so I'll just stick with uh, like comparing WWF yeah. F to WWE now. Um, and uh, I agree with uh, Jeremy. The I, if you go on pure athleticism, I mean, it's it, it's no contest. I mean, just look at Charlotte. I mean, oh, she does look at the women's division. The first, period, the, but yeah, but the first time I watched Charlotte wrestle, I was literally in awe. I I, I couldn't yeah. believe the things she does, and I can't like when I saw her do that that crazy. Uh, uh, whatever Loops that is, off of the off the uh, off the rope, and she does that on a regular basis, yeah. and it's like that's incredible. That's not just like a. I think a Cheryl might have the thing. best moonsault of anybody, man or female. That's pretty fucking good. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Don't forget about Kurt Angle. Besides, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but I think everything else. I mean, we talked about it. The cr- the, the the signs in the crowd. You know, the crowd during the Attitude Era. The heat. Um, the talent, the storylines, I think all that was better though still. Um, but yeah, the athleticism today is, is bar none. Yeah. It's all right. We're going to wrap it up, but in wrapping it up, I think real quick, I I feel like we've already given ourselves away here, but if we're, if we're going to go ahead and like put our votes out for however we feel about this, I am standing on where I came into this podcast today thinking about it. I think the attitude era is overrated. I think in part because it's it's importance is great for what it stood for then but the things that it has done to irreparably ruin some of wrestling now like not give talent a chance to get over you know the having to fight out of the misogyny that was like super implanted and back you know like reinforced back then uh the level of extreme that like they were trying to play up has kind of fucked you know any kind of sensible psychology for matches going forward like i think it's done more to hurt wrestling than it has done to benefit it if viewed entirely in a vacuum sure it's fine but i can't do that so i personally speaking i think it's a little overrated um i i, cause I, I keep having this i keep going back and forth on, on fairly or over and I'm, i think i'm on the, the slightly overrated only the, for the sheer fact that the wrestling quality would, was only for maybe about 25 percent of the era as far as so to me, as far as like what encompasses the best storylines and 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 wrestling ability, I think um, right after the brand split with the SmackDown Six and everything was probably the best between like best era for WWF in terms of both storyline and wrestling. Um, I personally enjoyed it because I thought the, the ring ring quality was good and the storylines were were good. Uh, I, so for me, it's a slightly overrated for the sheer fact that I. And like Dave, I do like wrestling. I like to watch two guys that can wrestle, wrestle. Uh, and I'm not really a spot fest guy, so I think that sometimes we get, they get into that these days, and people think that's good wrestling. But I think good quality wrestling was in like 2000, 2001, and then 2002, 2003 that 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 frame, and that's only part of the Attitude Era. So that's why I'm going to say it's slightly overrated. You almost said verbatim what I would want to say: slightly overrated, but but less overrated than i had coming in i think i was okay overrated like definitely and now i've scaled it back to slightly overrated i appreciate what it accomplished what it did for the mainstream and I, I, i'm gonna disagree with dave slightly though and say i don't think it's it's ruined it ongoing because i don't know if a lot of these guys that are in wrestling today would have the chance to do what they're doing if the attitude error hadn't preceded it. That's a very fair point. Yeah, I uh, I think it's fair. Um, I don't think it can be uh, 
uh, overrated because it's just such a great era, and it's definitely not underrated. Um, but I, I, I say fair. Um, I think you're going to see more Hall of – there are, and you're probably going to see more Hall of Famers from that era than, than any other era um, for a long, long time um, in terms of wrestling. And I just I – don't, I don't think it's fair – to say that uh, <laughs> I don't think it's fair uh, to say that uh, a product was so good that it ruined the future product. That I don't know. That's 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 a little. That's an interesting line right. for me to. Let's, I'll take an it interesting pin. pill to swallow for me. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the uh, attitude is kind of like that star quarterback in high school that comes back to all the parties after he's graduated, <laughs> and uh, it's like still living uh, living, on, living his dream, his glory days. And you're like, come on, guy, we're just trying to have a party, do our own thing over here. <laughs> like, sure, you don't want to. Sure, you don't want to talk about that time I threw Rams, four touchdowns. touchdowns in one game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Well. Yeah, no, that, those are fair. You all make very fair points. And that was why we were here. So I feel like we've accomplished that pretty well. Um, Brian, you had mentioned it earlier, but I'll let you guys get in some plugs now if you'd like. Does anyone have any social media or any kind of things? Or Brian, you look eager. What do, what do you want to share oh, with us? Well, well, just in case you're wondering, I uh, host trivia two nights a week, Mondays and Fridays, at the Blarney Stone in Berkeley on Mondays at 8 o'clock. And at Augie's in Madison Heights on Fridays at 8 o'clock. We're a Michigan-based show, guys, so these are Michigan cities. Sporkle (laughs) Sporkle Live with Brian L's my Facebook page, so check that out. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, man, no problem. I just want to give everybody everybody their props. Anybody else? You got some social media handles you'd like to throw out or a place we can come and look at? I'd rather no one looks (laughs) at That's totally fine. I just want (laughs) to give everybody a chance. Appreciate having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate all of you for showing up. Thank you. Uh, You know, we talked it out. We did good. Uh, Roger, over here, I know you've been quiet, but is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, follow me on Twitter at RogCast81. Check out the latest Over and Under Fairs. We did Smashing Pumpkins and the newest counting tracks as we go over the 1993's classic verses. That's a Pearl Jam album, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a Pearl Jam album. Was I on that? Yes, you were. Dave yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> my own shameless promotion on my own Dave show. and uh, Ray uh, from SRD Ringside. So check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Leave us some reviews. Give us some love. And find us Spotify, and just as an update, Over Under Fair should be on Spotify within the next few weeks. So is, is, we're gonna have to cut all this when we talk about a few weeks when this is coming oh, yeah. out in like a month. It'll be, uh, excuse me, it'll be out. Uh, Over Under Fair should be coming on Spotify soon. And in the meantime, though, head over to SRD, the Sports Check us out on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Over Under Fair. Email us at overunderfairpod at gmail uh, I urge you to go check out our Facebook page and interact with us there. That's where the most of the posts come from, and we leave links to the show there too. So Podbean, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, and apparently Spotify. So that will be great, and that will be all. So for the collection of everybody here, I am Dave, and this is Over Under Fair, and thank you so much. We'll be back. What? What about on those few occasions when you will honestly and objectively look into the full-length mirror. Oh, boy. Uh All right, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, yeah. And you women look into the mirror, and you look at yourselves, and you say, "Uh, look at the cellulite hanging from my hips and my buttocks. That's not fair. (laughs) And you men... You men won't even come close to the mirror. That's you, Michael. But on that occasion when you might just take a quick glimpse, oh. you say, oh, that can't be me. 
no, that can't be me with the pot belly and the small genitalia. Oh, no, that's not fair. That really is you, Michael. And you look at yourselves. Go ahead. Look at yourselves. Look at the person sitting next to you. Yeah, oh. look at him. Oh. Look at the person sitting in front of you. Go ahead. Look at all of you. You bunch of pigs. You look at yourselves and you compare yourselves to the beautiful people here in this ring and you say, that's not fair. <laughs> look at these bunch of nutmegger pigs. And forget about the looks. What about the money? That's what it's uh -huh. all about. Not fair, huh, You Michael? scrimp and you save. You work yourselves half to death. And still, you can't afford what you really want. Guess That's what? That's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair that some people are rich and you're not. That's not fair. <laughs> and you know, you have to face the facts. The vast majority of you are just born with inferior DNA. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. And you say, it's not fair I'm born with inferior DNA. But you feel sorry for yourselves. You wallow in your self-pity. And then you have to face the facts that life is not fair. I like Stephanie's DNA. And some of you... A select few, you might as well go ahead and admit it. You might as well own up to the philosophy for some of you, and that is that life sucks, and then you die. 